0: I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle. And as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dharndika, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by the creator of the film, India Sweets and Spices, writer and director, Gita Malik. Stay tuned. It's definitely not a pandemic blast, but just partly a thanks and partly a shameless plug in that I'm grateful to everyone for listening, telling your friends about the show, for subscribing to the podcast, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhay Dandekar. So let's talk about the Indian dinner party. For any of the academics out there, by the way, this is likely an entire anthropology dissertation. But if you're a story enthusiast, or if you're just looking for storytelling ideas within the Indian American community that are choice and ripe and likely full of surprises, then you need to get to know writer and director Geeta Malik and her latest film, India Sweets and Spices, which was recently released by Bleecker Street and now is streaming online. Geeta is from Colorado, is a graduate of UCLA's film school, and has won numerous awards and accolades for her work, including the Nickel Fellowship from the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, and the Award for Best Comedy Screenplay at the Austin Film Festival, for the script to India Sweets and Spices, which at that time was titled Dinner with Friends. We caught up recently and talked storytelling as a female South Asian American writer and director and about the ideas and influences behind her work, but we started our conversation about how the long journey and many steps involved in this latest movie Have perhaps made her a wiser filmmaker?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think so. I think the learning curve on this film was exponential for me. You know, I started the first draft back in 2011. I had just finished my first feature, which I did right out of film school basically. Um, It was called Troublemaker and it was a tiny, tiny budget and it was all my friends from UCLA, run and gun, no permits, you know. Very gritty. And then know right starting to write the script for this film i was thinking i would do this film probably the same way i would probably have to you know raise money from my friends and family and do it really you know shoestrings you know however we could make it we'd make it you know and then what ended up happening was it got some attention from the industry and then we got some proper funding and then you know it was a totally brand new experience for me doing something at this scale so it's been a a very very crazy journey but a really uh definitely a learning experience and a good one
0: you know, for you, did it allow you in some ways to take a step back and reflect particularly on the process as a creator, and particularly in thinking about like the steps that previously you could have done to accelerate or, you know, informing the next steps you make with your next film?
1: Yeah, I think um, just the fact that we had resources on this film, um, that was a huge, uh, that was huge. And it did inform my creative decisions in a way, Um, you know, in my first film, again, I had to cut things. I had to change things. And the same thing happened with this film. We have to kind of streamline things for the budget and to fit that. Um, But, you know, if I asked for something that felt outlandish a little bit to me because I'd never had that kind of, you know, uh, freedom before, they'd be considered. They'd say, oh, okay. well, is there a reason you need this? And I could give them a creative reason. And sometimes it would work and I would get what I needed. And that never happened before. (laughs) So.
0: So you have like the licensure to actually be able to ask.
1: Yes, exactly. And to know why, you know, and it's not just like, oh, I want fun toys to play with. Oh, I just want it for the sake of wanting it. It was genuinely in the service of if we could get this kind of shot, this is how it would enhance that, mm-hmm. that story moment or that plot point, you know? So that was really exciting to be able to work that way creatively.
0: When you ask that question and you ask it maybe, you know, not just once, but twice and and three times, and especially with the the proof of the work. Does it generate that much more respect, or or the fact that people are are and your your funders, your backers, the resources that you have are allowing for more of that creative licensure, or the ability and that leap of faith to say, yeah, you know, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, I think that trust comes along with them seeing the results. Um, I will definitely see on my next film (laughs) how that plays out as well. If this film, you know, helps me get to that next level again, you know, hopefully there's stepping stones after this as well. But even on the film itself, you know, I think um, there were times where I wasn't sure if I should ask for things. And that was also a learning curve where it was, you know, my producer would come up to me and say, hey, you you know, this is part of our budget or this is something people do on these kinds of sets. You're allowed to ask for that and you're allowed to take that. Um, and that was really interesting to me to sort of break out of my own completely, totally indie filmmaker head. And this yeah. was still very much an indie film, but just at a greater scale than anything I'd done. So giving myself that latitude was a lot of fun, too.
0: You mentioned your first film was kind of shoestring and gritty and yeah. real raw and finding friends who are around and and shooting it sort of as a, you know, as an innovation right out of film school. Mm-hmm. How did that experience inform this one?
1: Very much in the sense that I felt I could, I knew I could do a feature. So I think, just in terms of my confidence, going into it knowing if I didn't get any respect or attention from the industry, that I could make this on my own. It would yeah. definitely not be the same movie, it would certainly not be at the same scale or budget. But learning from that first film made me feel like, oh, I have. I know how to do this. You know, the first film was 19 days. It felt very, very short to do a feature. And on top of it, this is also just, you know, learning by experience. Yeah. <laughs> me, me producing this and, and budgeting everything in. Some days we'd have three location changes. and would have to gather yeah. all our equipment and take the trucks across town three times. This is LA, you know, so that's, yeah. you know, it's no. a crazy days. <laughs> and it was so great to have an amazing crew and an amazing cast that were along for the ride. Um, but I think it just really showed me, I, it was sort of trial by fire. Okay, you've done this. It's it was been it was super hard, but I got uh, a movie out of it that I I stand by that I love and I'm very affectionate towards. You know, and so I think that did help me on this next film to say, oh, with a little bit more, you know, more resources, that's great. But I know I can I can do it if it's really lean. I know how to do that.
0: Almost like I wonder if the muscle memory of doing it the first time, the second time, Mm -hmm. makes a difference. Does does it become one of those things where you just become that much more comfortable with it? And and if you do, does it? Is the mechanism for this to just be that much more comfortable, or are you always looking to say, okay, I need to reach out of the places where I, I do find my comfort zone and and in fact, break f- from that a little bit?
1: Mm. I think on this one, um it was more muscle memory. just I mean, I hadn't directed a feature in ten years. this is it's ten years later now that this feature is coming out. You know, it was really, It was just me trying to remember oh we have to what's the sequence of things how do we how do we block these scenes how do i speak to my actors how do i look at the camera how do i work with my crew and all of that did feel like it came somewhat naturally to me which i i'm grateful for there was training that went behind that i went to film school i did my feature um i had my first kid and then i did a short film just because i was dying to get back on set so i think just keeping that up and also just doing a ton of prep work um i'm very much a planner I have spreadsheets, big fan of spreadsheets. <laughs> so I do a lot of planning and I do, I, you know, and because I also wrote the script, I already had an idea in my head of how things would look and what I wanted. Um, so I think that really helped. And I think what helped me on this that was different from my first film was having that latitude to play. And also with the actors, the actors were so experienced and wonderful and were open to improv and open to, you know, and there was a real collaboration. And with my first film, were, the actors were wonderful too, but I felt like it was a little bit more it was low it was more low-key. It wasn't yeah. quite as much of a free flow of ideas, whereas this one felt a little bit more like that. Because we had that freedom to play more.
0: You know, the the cast, your, your, your presence and and your creativity. This is squarely an Indian American or a South Asian American film. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, how would you in thinking about this and sort of like the the state of affairs, so to speak, what is the state of affairs of Indian American or South Asian American filmmaking today?
1: Yeah so when i was coming up it felt like it was very much about this identity crisis between indian american um those films were vital and they were important to you know us as filmmakers and us as just as you know teens and and people in our early 20s growing up and not seeing ourselves on screen except for like you know the doctors with the accents that kind of thing right right so even if we are portrayed as model minorities we were still very much in the background of all of these shows and stuff and and these films I think it has changed a lot, and I would say it changed a lot in the past, like maybe handful of years, maybe five years. Um, When I first came out of film school, it still felt very much... Like the old school thing uh, my first film was a road trip movie about a girl who goes to look for her father and okay. there's an indie you know i cast an indian american girl because that's what i am that's what i wanted yeah. to see and people just didn't get it they were like why are you doing that <laughs> you're gonna make it so hard to find funding and it was no one would fund us yeah. and you know for very many reasons because it's a tiny indie film as well i'm sure that played into it and i did get that yeah. feedback and i think now it's i don't think on this film anyone said add more white characters. Let's put a white person in there. You know, that did not happen on this film and I'm so grateful for that. But I think it also is, it shows that there's a little bit more South Asian minority power because we're allowed to say, you know, people don't want to say that anymore because they think they're going to sound crazy, you know? And so we do have that that weight a little bit more in Hollywood, which is really helpful.
0: Well, so what's the what's so challenging then about storytelling within this kind of subculture, right? I mean, you know, the other ones that that we Perhaps grew up with and, and were more familiar with in our past experiences, right? They they definitely feel more familiar. And so there's more nuance and, and sort of the ability to naturally think about them. But because this has been sort of like a, um, a fast rise over the last couple of years, yeah. are there like, you know, specific challenges that you have to deal with when it comes to storytelling when you are exclusively working in this kind of South Asian American subculture piece?
1: hmm Yeah, I think there are certain, as much as people try to be aware, there are definitely still certain tropes and cliches that come up in every single project that comes across my desk. And that's that's written by South Asians. That's not written by South Asians. That's all of that. I mean, I think what people get excited about, about our culture are things that we're not necessarily excited about. (laughs) We've grown up hearing about arranged marriages. We know the mangoes and the monsoon. We know all of that stuff. Like we, it's not... It's not that i don't love a lot of those films but it's not my experience that's why right. i became a filmmaker that's why i am telling these stories and i'm very lucky i feel like all i've wanted to do my whole career is is tell south asian stories and i feel like oh i might be finally at a time where you know i can do that and it's great yeah. at the same time it's a real tricky line because you don't want to be pigeonholed because yeah. your entire life you know we've we've been asked to identify with white characters forever right yeah. that's just the blank slate and so you don't want to say, oh, I'm, I'm only going to direct South Asian-based films and not be open to other things, because that's how people will see me as well, even though that's mm-hmm. genuinely what I want to do. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, well, And, and, this, and that's, a, that's a balance that you have to have, yeah. perhaps as, as an industry leader. And mm-hmm. I mean, do you imagine more storytelling about the integration into a larger context? Mm-hmm. Or is it equally important, perhaps in a balanced way, to uniquely identify and focus on the value and nuances of the specific stories that are not necessarily told?
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's both. I think, yeah. um, you know, I look at shows like Insecure, yeah. Uh, I look at shows even like The Sopranos. Sure. It's such a specific community, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's so American as well. And yeah. I feel like that's those are the stories I do want to see. I want, I don't want us to deny our culture. I don't want I want us to eat our dal and, and roti at the dinner table, but I don't want it to be like exotified, like, ooh, right. Indians do this. Ooh, right. this is what happens. It's just how we live. And that's what I think I really try to strive for in my scripts and in my movies. Like, this is this is how I grew up, this is who I am. There's a general acceptance of it on my part. Yeah, and I just hope that the world can see that too. If, if there was ever an Indian American Sopranos, a version of that, which I'm writing, um, that'd be amazing. And that's exactly wait. right. <laughs> but that's what it would be. It would just be an Indian American family. And yeah. we don't deny our culture. Maybe we have certain decorations, whatever it is in our house that, you know, they speak to us being Indian American, but that's not what the whole story is focused on. It's not about the culture.
0: You know what that reminds me of? And, and I'm curious what your take is on this. Mm -hmm. As an artist, as a creator, as a filmmaker, you definitely just outlined why that's so important to both zoom in and focus and zoom out and look at the macro Mm -hmm. perspective at the same time. Do you think we're at a state where audiences are ready to do that as well?
1: I really do. I think I'm seeing that a lot more and more in TV shows and films. I think there is much more of an embrace of seeing that and not feeling like it's something outside of your culture like oh you're looking in at this window you're peeking into this thing it's no these are the these are your neighbors this is you this is maybe you this is you yes. know the Jewish American um, community this is maybe the you know the African American community like we're here and I that's why I love shows like insecure and I love shows like Atlanta where you know the culture is so integrated into the storytelling yes. it's just part of it that's how we tell stories and yet it's never, that's all it's about. It's never about placing ourselves in the greater white world. That's yes. not what it's about. It's our world, you
0: know? Is it, Does it therefore make it impossible for a non-South Asian American to tell those stories? Mm-hmm. Is it impossible for someone, for even a South Asian person who didn't grow up in America to tell that story?
1: Yes, that's a, it's a, It's again tricky, and it's, it, yeah. this is a great question. And this is something I debate with my fellow filmmakers and friends all the time. Yeah. So, again, we've grown up seeing white people direct our stories, white people direct all kinds of cultural stories, and sometimes beautifully, sometimes done ex- exquisitely with a lo- deep understanding of the culture and with a, a beautiful storytelling. And I would never want to limit anyone who is not white that they can't that you can only tell stories about Indian people. You can only tell stories about black people. Why would we ever do that? Stories are universal. Yeah. At the same time, my hackles are always raised when I get a when I get a script and someone says, can you do an authenticity pass over it? And I think the problem is the opportunity. Because why not just give that opportunity to write the script from the beginning to someone who's underrepresented in the industry anyway? Why give it to someone who's not part of that culture and then ask someone who is part of that culture to just go over it for like a fraction of the price if you get paid anything, you know? Right. Um, and I think I think because we need more and more of us telling these stories, more and more of us as producers, as executives, once that starts happening, I think the world will definitely open up in a, in a very different way. But for now, I feel like it is tricky because I don't want us to be limited by our backgrounds. Um, but I also feel like it is our time to tell our stories. We do need to have that uh, opportunity as well.
0: You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with writer and director Gita Malik. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with writer and director Gita Malik. I'm always struck by how storytelling is affecting multiple generations. Mm. And clearly in our space, you know, even I am not of the, the same generation of, say, 20, 30 year olds, you know, right now, who are, are South Asian or Indian Americans who've grown up even slightly different than I have. How do you think those who have, in fact, experienced a very different version of the storytelling from the 60s, 70s, and 80s and 90s compared to the last, say, 20 or 30 years? How do you think they are responding to this? Are they responding in the same way? Are our parents and grandparents who had a very, very different experience than than us coming here and either assimilating or or finding ways to integrate or not, for that matter? Do you think their experience of this kind of explosion of South Asian American media, um, do you think it's it's different than ours?
1: I do. I think because at the time they came over, and perhaps that's changed now. I mean, obviously there's still Indian immigrants who come over right now, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but the big waves of immigrants that came over, I think their stories were still very much sort of steeped in the motherland. You know, there was it was it was about being immigrants. It was about not fitting in. It was about trying to find your way in a very white world in a white space. So I'm I'm curious. That's a good question. I don't know what they think now of this new, uh, these new stories that are coming out. It's not necessarily their experience, but I hope that there is some embracing of that to see that it is becoming more integrated. And because, like you said, I mean, I didn't grow up in India. Uh, I grew up here. I grew up in Aurora, Colorado, you know, and so my only experience has been as an Indian American. And I right. have been sometimes navigating myself in a world that's not Indian and not brown, you know, but again, I hope that there's there's sort of a connective thread, and I think what is interesting is that a lot of these stories that we're telling now, they still involve our parents. The, the story I just told involves our parents. That generation mm-hmm. is still part of our storytelling.
0: And are they are they involved in that storytelling? I mean, the, from an empathy lens, did you, as a storyteller, really have to dig into that mindset of what it's like to be that auntie or uncle or that grandparent, as mm-hmm. opposed to telling the story from the the daughter's um, perspective of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that actually um, I've talked about how it evolved. The, the script really yeah. evolved over time because when I first started writing it, I wasn't a mother and I had two kids back to back. My kids are a year and a half apart. And I was just, I mean, it was a totally different perspective coming back to the script after that, being a mom myself and being, you know, it really became, why were these aunties acting this way? Why was my mom? Why were my parents acting a certain way? And digging into that because I now had the perspective of being a different person. My kids do not know me as Gita from twenty years ago. They only know me as mom. You know, yeah. so I think there is that again that connective tissue that we can see. We're you know as our generations get older and older. Well, yeah. I don't know what the new generations are gonna what kind of stories they'll right. tell, and if there is still that connection that will go through, or if it'll be a totally brand new world, and that's yeah. exciting too. Maybe they don't have to keep referring back to these other generations. What
0: were you what were you doing when you first conceived the idea for for this film? As you know, India sweets and spices or, or dinner with friends uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in its first incarnation.
1: Yeah. I think I'm sure the very germ of this idea came from a discussion I had with my mom. My mom, um, you know, looms large in this film. It's, you know, I'm very inspired by her. It's a little bit of a love letter to her. And I think, you know, we joked about these parties sometimes. And I remember just talking to her and she said they were see therapy. That was her term for these parties. <laughs> <laughs> she right. called it Daisy therapy yeah. you go there you feel comfortable you talk amongst your people you speak your language you wear your clothes you eat your food you're comfortable in this world and yet there's so much you know crazy stuff that happens behind the scenes and i think there was just something so rich about that idea and it originally just started as this comedy where i was going to poke fun at our aunties and uncles because <laughs> um, they're very easy to poke fun at and then you know it just became well what's more interesting what's a more interesting story to tell versus just not just gossip what's behind the gossip why is that happening and what does that mean for this bigger picture of this this family but again this you know a macro view of why people behave the way they do why her parents behave the way they did and what does that mean for her future you know and i think that is a universal thing it is it's indian american it is south asian but that is a universal thing i mean there's millions of stories about white families you know family is family so
0: When, when you think about the, the sort of germ for that idea and, you know, kind of that discussion and, and even the Indian parties that you've been to, mm-hmm. you know, since that, for you, you know, in thinking about sort of like the honesty behind that and, and digging a little bit deeper as to like why those, that sort of cultural phenomenon exists, what did you discover about yourself? What did your mom discover about um, herself maybe in, 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 you know, viewing this film?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to ask my mom. <laughs> I don't know what she's discovered about herself. Right. <laughs> um, I think um, I would hope that she would say, you know, that it is sort of a not, you know, it's very exaggerated. It's a comedy. Yeah. Um, it's you know, there's dramatic moments that are also, you know, it's creative license. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like it is a little bit of a mirror. It is one of those things where it's like, oh, if I go to a party and I catch myself wanting to gossip or say something, i right. you know, everyone has that instinct you know we all have insecurities we all have we all want to look the best we all want you know social media has really taken a lot of that over you know you portray Mm -hmm. a certain image and that's important to everyone even if you think you're being completely honest with yourself you get in a situation like that and there's innate competition that happens so definitely learning about myself i feel like um i think just to just a little bit more compassion i guess for that generation Uh, and the challenges they face that I don't have to face, yep. um, not the same way. And then compassion, even for, you know, my people of my age group who are still sort of playing that game, you get it, you know, yeah. you get it. Yeah. And hopefully at some point we sort of branch out and break free from that a bit, but it is also human nature.
0: The the aha moments that you're talking about, did, did you, in having discussions with those in the cast or, or you know, other friends, were, were there similar aha moments, you know, that people had when... You know, either in the uh, making of the film or, or perhaps from those who have seen it.
1: Yeah, definitely in the making. It was really funny because, you know, we we threw these big parties and it, they were yeah. so much fun to shoot. But they were, you could actually hear people gossiping like about <laughs> other people on set. And you're like, oh my god, like, this is our movie. We're doing it, and yeah. it's in real time. You hear that. You know, yeah, the, all the background people were in in a holding area, and you're like, oh, this lady said this to this lady, and she wants her makeup. You know, it's just it was so funny and so surreal in a way to be like, oh, okay this is real. This happens. (laughs) the the
0: ultimate art imitating life and vice versa. Yes.
1: yes. It was so in real time, which was so funny. No, I mean, I think it's um, you wonder sometimes how accurate your own memories are. You know, I wonder, I'm like, Oh, am I, am I doing these aunties dirty? Like, did I, did I Mm -hmm. misremember things? Did I, you know, and what's been gratifying is first of all, people have really enjoyed the film, which is really nice. People are people have enjoyed the film, which is really, that's important. That authenticity is important to me, but also hearing from them and saying, I have been to I've been to those parties. I had to grow up going to those parties, too. My parents are still going to those parties, you know, And this is from teens. This is from a big age range. It's from people my age. It's from teens. It's from, you know, people older than me. It is a phenomenon. It is a thing that happens, And I think that's um that's been really interesting and helpful to know
0: you, you know, you mentioned that this kind of storytelling is about sort of like the stories that aren't necessarily always told or like that authenticity, that honesty behind, the subculture, is there still a reverence that has to be had, so to speak? So, cause I'm always fascinated when modern storytelling is actually informed by a reverence to the storytelling of the past, be mm-hmm. it the like, you know, stereotypical Indian doctor or, or, um, or others that were a little bit more Vanguard, even then w- were there films or art that you particularly studied or really sort of gave a nod to uh, mm-hmm. that impacted this kind of current work?
1: Yeah. Um, certain. you know, the the idea of reverence is really interesting. I think um, my first instinct is to be like, no, toss it out the window. We got to like, right. you know, break free from all of that. And at the same time, there is because I do value authenticity. I think there is there are certain things that are true and will be always true, you know, for a year, you know, forever mm-hmm. and ever that we do need to keep in mind, I guess, as South Asian storytellers and you know one of my favorite films of all time is monsoon wedding mm-hmm. and i certainly looked at that that was a huge inspiration uh, mira nair is a huge inspiration um you know she had little bollywood moments in there that's i grew up on bollywood too i love it so that was certainly you know uh, a film that i looked at even structurally um right. for how to for how to make my film i also really like buñuel and, uh, you know, talk about irreverent, <laughs> um, you, know, uh, you know, dinner parties running from one uh, room to the other. I think that sure. feeling of absurd absurdism, absurdity. Yeah. I love that. I tried to incorporate that a little bit. Sure. Um, and then also just, you know, dialogue wise, I just tried to make it as real as I could to my voice. I think yeah. Alia, you know, the character of the teen says things to her aunties and uncles that I never said. I wish I right. could have said, but, you know, I could put them in her mouth. And I feel like that sort of a little bit darker humor, a little yeah. darker comedy. I love the Coen brothers. I love yeah. Alexander Payne. You know, I feel like some of those influences have been in there too, where you just, you know, you kind of let her rip in the dialogue. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Almost, uh, do you feel like there were parts of your alter ego or the suppression that's maybe been there? Were, th- were those coming out pretty freely?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I think so. Yes. Yeah. It was very cathartic to write the script for sure.
0: You know, you mentioned this uh, kind of pigeonholing um, of how you define yourself um, as a, South Asian American creative. Do you characterize yourself as a South Asian American filmmaker? Mm-hmm. Is, and, and by the way, is it such that a South Asian American filmmaker has to necessarily stay within those brackets? Mm.
1: Um, I do characterize myself that way and as a female filmmaker. Yeah. I feel like, again, these are limitations that people used to put on, on filmmakers in the past. And I think we're hopefully growing past that. You know, like women can only tell women's stories and that kind of thing. You know, that's still very prevalent, I feel. Um, but I do, that is how I see myself. The things I write are Indian American and they are women. That's yeah. that's what I love to do. And I don't think we have to stay. I don't feel like I have to stay within that, um, within those brackets. But I do feel like anything that I'm generating, my own creative stuff, that's what it is. If there's a script, you know, I'm open to directing other people's things. I'd love to, you know, I'm pitching for writing assignments all the time. That stuff doesn't have to be Indian American. That stuff doesn't have to be women-centric. Because I feel like there is a perspective I can bring to those stories. But the things that I, the stories I want to tell, that's what they are. They just naturally are that.
0: I wanted to ask what, in learning all of this, in going through that experience as, you know, someone who's from Colorado and Mm -hmm. someone who's, you know, made now two films and more and, you know, just had a film successfully release, what motivators or accelerators have you utilized to sort of cultivate more and more trust in your work?
1: Yeah. These are great questions. Um, I think this industry is so hard. Uh, there is no prescribed path. It's not like you graduate film school and you get a job and you move up in the ranks unless you want to be an executive. And even then it's not you know inscribed in stone. It's not that way for anyone. So it's it sounds so glib to say it. And it's not, it doesn't always work. That's the hard part. But I think the only thing I can do and the only thing I can trust is that I can do my work. I can, I, there are people out there way more talented than me, way more connected, far luckier, whatever it is. The only thing I have under my control is my work. And so if I make sure I work as hard as I can to hone my craft, to write revision after revision of these scripts to show it to people to get their feedback as much as it hurts whatever it is yeah for me to keep being vulnerable and putting myself out there in the work that's i think that's um the only thing that i can that i can trust and that you know if at at a certain point if it comes back and people do respond to it okay then i know my hard work is leading to something you know
0: Geetha, what a treat to, to have this chat, and I know that audiences and um, folks and communities everywhere are hopefully you know, gravitating more towards your work. I hope you'll come back and, and visit with us again sometime.
1: Oh, I would love that. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks so much, Geetha. And India Sweets and Spices is streaming online, so please check it out. Someday, there will be a non-fungible token that defines my value, but for now, I value the currency of the air I breathe and the earth that I walk. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. Hi, this is Umar Durrani, and you can check out ruckusaveniradio.com for more information and for the latest on station programming and more.